with me to Matthew chapter 16. An old-time preacher said in the early 20s, in the early 1920s, a preacher said, for Jesus to rapture the church and to come back and judge the world, two things on the earth must happen. Israel must become a nation with Jerusalem as the capital for the Jewish people, and technology must exist that everyone on the earth can see the same thing at the same time. Now, could you imagine what that preacher went through in ridicule at that time? In the early 1900s, Israel was spread all across the Middle East and Europe. It seemed to be impossible for them ever to become a nation again. And yet, after one of the greatest tragedies known to mankind as the Holocaust, the nation of Israel was restored back to their land. And at that time, just to give you some history here, the Arab people planned a comeback that has failed every time through the Palestinian people to bring about terrorism to Israel. Please check your facts. Israel belongs to the Jewish people, not only via the Bible and the scriptures, which by the way, Muslims say they affirm as well, but they're hypocrites. Not only does it belong to them according to the scripture, but according to the United Nations and to the other global nations of the world, it is theirs. And if Muslims want to demand land back, then they can give back all the Christian lands and all the lands that they have taken in Jesus' name, amen? But they are sore losers and they lost and they will continue to lose in the Middle East until the time of judgment in the Battle of Armageddon. Can I hear an amen to that? That's not today's message, but I want you to understand. In the early 1900s, a pastor looking at the Scriptures, and many, many have done so, but I just want you to focus on this, and said, Israel must become a nation, and Jerusalem must be the capital of those Jewish people. And so imagine what this last generation has seen. People are alive from that time even now. They're from the boomer generation. They're older, okay? They have watched Israel go from being a persecuted, or the Jewish people, from being a persecuted people to getting their land back, fighting wars, taking over the land, maintaining that land, and now they are there today. And it's still, think about this, think about the chance you would have to take to make a prophecy that says the people of Israel will be in the land at the end times. For almost 2,000 years, they haven't been there. Now for about almost the last 100 years, they have been. Somebody say, Jesus knows what he's talking about. Amen. And then now think about this other prophecy in the book of Revelation that when the two witnesses during the time of tribulation are preaching in Israel, in Jerusalem, they will do so uninterrupted with supernatural power for many years, and yet when they finally die a martyr's death, the Bible says the wicked of the world will see their bodies and rejoice and give gifts to one another. Once again, imagine someone saying that in the early 1900s. Imagine all of the ridicule and mockery. And yet today, you hold a smartphone, though you and I may not be very smart, we hold a smartphone, come on, though people may use this for pornography and OnlyFans, how many know you can do something good with this, okay? You now are holding a phone seeing live footage of Israel and the Middle East right now. And tell me if this is not true after everything that we have been through. If righteous gospel preachers died, would there not be celebration in many parts of the world? There are many parts of the world celebrating the Hamas terrorism of innocent 
club and festival goers in their rape and murder, how much more so do you think they would rejoice if the Antichrist was in charge and they were able to get away with all of that? And remember, during the time of the Antichrist, the number one way that the people are killed is beheadings, as the Bible said. Think about that as a way of death. And yet they rejoice over the righteous being killed. If right now you see the wicked rejoicing, how much more so when the Antichrist is in charge? Can I hear an amen? And that's why we're praying for the peace of Israel. And once again, that doesn't mean I agree with every Israeli soldier or every Israeli politician or everything going on in Israel. Of course, there's sinners and saints among them. But when you ask me as a pastor whose side I'm on, that's like asking me whose side I'm on, ISIS or people in the towers, you know, on 9-11. Like, what side am I? Of course, I'm on the side of the freedom-loving, God-believing-in people. I'm not in the satanic religion. I do not back Islam. Are you listening to me? I do believe their people are suffering, but they chose Hamas to be their world government, uh, to be their leadership, and to be their voice to the world. Hamas is a terrorist organization, and why we need to pray for the Palestinian people is because of the spirit of stupidity, because I know if today, because we have people here from Cuba, I know today if there was a war in Cuba and we went over there, how many know the Cubans would side with us and say, get these guys out of power. And yet today, they want Hamas to be over them, so many of them. So in my mind, even though I feel pity for them, as Mr. Petit said, I pity the fool, but they are foolish. That's what you wanted. This is now what you get. You wanted a terrorist organization to be your leadership. You supported them by sending your children to these trainings to hate the Israeli people, and then you go over the border and fight the festivals and these festival goers. You now are going to suffer your city in rubble. You didn't want no stuff. You should have started no stuff. Can I hear an amen? I love everybody in this city. You start messing with me, you start messing with innocent people, we're going to tear the whole thing down. Can I hear an amen? The Bible says you turn the other cheek one time. After that, it's a just war. So I want everyone here to not have false compassion, saying, well, what about the Palestinians? The Palestinians Palestinians had one vote. They voted in Hamas. No more votes. That is now their leadership. If that's what they want as a nation, then that's what they're going to suffer under Islamic terrorists. Can I hear an amen? So we pray for Islamic terrorists. And many have repented, even some from Hamas. You can read it. Hamas, terrorist, becomes Christian. And you can hear the testimony. And you can hear what it was like for him as a Muslim to be brought up under that demonic religion of Islam. And how Jesus Christ saved his, saved his life, changed his heart, and now how he supports Israel. Isn't that something? Isn't that something that once you become a Christian, you become pro-life? How many can say amen to that? I didn't even have to think about it. There wasn't even a debate. I didn't have to watch three conferences on it, go to two seminars. I knew once I was a Christian that I stand for life in the womb. That's just obvious. Amen? And then once I became a Christian, I understood that I support the Jewish people. Hey, that book is about them. Are you listening to me? 
Once again, that doesn't mean I agree with all of them. There's books called Kings where they mess up a whole bunch, and you've got to pray for all those wicked kings. But how many know during the time of wicked kings, God still sent prophets, and he still had a remnant? And what the world doesn't want to tell you is that now there are more Messianic Jews, Jews who have accepted Christ as the Messiah in Israel than there ever has been before. So even though there may be many Jews who still don't like Christianity, they hold things against the past of what people did in Jesus' name, like the Holocaust. Remember, many of those Germans claimed Christianity and so forth, and Roman Catholicism was hideous to the Jews. Read about the Inquisitions and how they tortured them. And, of course, we protest against the Catholics too. So with the Jews, we, we side against the Roman Catholic papacy and all of that. But listen, my friends. The Christians have been the best friends of the Jews. It's the Christians that support and back them. Why? Because we know our Bible is about them. Jesus was a Jew. If you ever meet a Christian that's an anti-Semite, you've met an idiot. Can I hear an amen? Jesus was a Jew. The whole Bible was written by Jews for Jews. And all of us non-Jews here today will be engrafted into them. And so when we... Whether we go to heaven first or we see the the coming of the Lord, we will rule and reign with the 12 tribes of Israel in Jerusalem. The providence or state that you will live in in the kingdom to come. When Jesus said, thy kingdom come, thy will be done, that kingdom coming is a Jewish kingdom. It is under the 12 tribes of Israel, represented now by the 12 apostles. Can I hear an amen? You and I will be under Jewish apostle states for a thousand years as we rule and reign with Christ. Praise God. How many happy about that? So when I think about what's going on in the Middle East today, I I think we're seeing prophecy fulfilled. Anybody who doesn't see that obviously has their eyes closed. How could you orchestrate that? I've even had people say, well, uh, the Jewish people, they put this together because they knew the prophecies and they're making it happen, so they call it self-fulfillment. Yeah, why don't you try to start a nation right now by yourself and see how that goes? If the Jewish people could have brought themselves together as a nation and have the Holy Land belong to them according to their own ability and self-fulfill their own prophecy, then why didn't they do it for 1,800 years? Hello, somebody. And if we could have had technology to view the whole world, why didn't we have it 500 years before nation became an Israel, uh, uh, before the nation of Israel became established? Why did they come at the same time? Look at, seriously, look it up, Google it right now, the first satellite uh, broadcast. What year was that in, the first satellite broadcast? Google that. Use your phone for a good reason in church instead of texting your neighbor right now. Come on. Use your phone for a good reason. What was the first satellite, I believe it was of the Olympics if I'm not mistaken, what year was that in? Because that could have happened any time. Israel could have become a nation at any time. And yet somehow it coincides around the same exact time. 1957. When did Israel become a nation? Google that. When did Israel become a nation? 19 when? 48. When did Israel occupy Jerusalem? Google that. I believe it's 1967. 1967 has been confirmed? Yes, sir. Look at that. So you think that's any coincidence? That at the same time, global satellite capabilities and technology happen at the same time that the nation of Israel becomes that land right there with those people in Jerusalem. You think that's a coincidence? 
If you could self-fulfill that, why couldn't you do that on your own at any time? Why, why? Like, we always wanted to be able to travel. We always wanted to be able to have that technology. Why didn't they do that 200 years ago? Why didn't they do that 300 years ago? The Israelites always wanted their land. They've wanted their land since they were taken out of it in 70 AD during the destruction of Israel. That was prophesied by Jesus. Why didn't they get their land back in 100 AD? Why didn't they get it back in 300 AD? You all tracking with me? Why didn't it happen until the 1950s, 1940s and 50s and 60s when all that's given back to them at the same time of the technology? My Bible knows what it's talking about. Amen? As a matter of fact, there's no way of coming into this message now. Let me preach to you about the end times. Go to Matthew 24. Amen. I don't have a, that was the introduction. The introduction's gone too long. How many are ready for the end times? Tell your neighbor, you better get ready or you're going to get left. Tell your other neighbor, say, you better get right or you're going to get left. Go to Matthew chapter 24, Jesus talking about the end times. Look at chapter 24, starting in verse 1. Jesus left the temple. Notice that the temple is there in Jesus' time. This is right around 30 to 33 AD. 30 to 30 AD. This is after the time of Jesus' birth, obviously, so it's not going to be before Christ. So it's AD after his death is the way we look at it. But this is right around the 30s. A.D., Jesus left the temple and was walking away when his disciples came up to him to call his attention to its buildings. Do you see all these things, he said? Uh, Do you see all these things, he asked? Truly I tell you, not one stone here will be left on another. Every one will be thrown down. Now I want you to think about this. This is around 30 A.D., And the disciples are wanting Jesus to see the temple because in their mind, the kingdom of God coming is going to happen now that the Messiah is there. They uh, brought together, they scrunched together two aspects of the Jewish Messiah. One aspect was a conquering king and another was a suffering servant. They obviously didn't understand how these things were going to work, so they kept putting literally the cart before the horse. They wanted the Messiah to be the conquering king before he ever would suffer. They didn't understand that the suffering would come first, and then they didn't comprehend that the suffering of the Messiah would bring about a resurrection and then a global message called the gospel. Everybody here say the gospel. The gospel to change the world. So in other words, the disciples, they want a kingdom. They want Jesus to be king. And he is, and he's going to do it, but they want it on their timeline. And so they're nudging Jesus as they're in downtown Jerusalem, and they're pointing to the temple, which is the centerpiece of the Jewish religion. And instead of Jesus now saying, hey, boys, get ready. We're going to start ruling and reigning right now. I'm going to conquer these Romans. We're going to conquer the world. It's going to happen right now. What Jesus says is, hey, you see all these buildings? You see the temple? You see all of this? There's not going to be one stone left on another. It's all coming down. Now imagine that two things just happened. Their timeline got blowed up. And the, th- and the second thing is they just now realize destruction is going to be upon them. This is not going to be fun. This is not going to be easy. This is going to be problematic for these boys as their timeline is blowed up. And guess what? In 70 AD, the Romans destroyed that temple. Forty years before it happened, Jesus prophesied it. 
You know what people have tried to say about our scriptures? They try to say, oh, well, you know what? This Bible was written after the destruction of the Jewish temple. And so the people who made up the Bible, they wanted it to be like Jesus was a prophet, so they inserted this into his words. So in other words, it would be like me now writing about 9-11 and somebody 100 years from now reading what I wrote. So Joe says, before X, Y, and Z happens, the two towers will come down. That wouldn't be very impressive if I wrote that 20 years after the fact. Are you listening? But see, somebody 100 years later, 200 years later, they may not know the timeline. So they may say, oh, that's impressive, not knowing that Joe actually knew it only after the fact. Well, that's what scholars have tried to say about Jesus. This is not really a literal Jesus talking right here. These are authors long after the time it's already happened, and they put this into the words of Jesus to make it look like he prophesied something that everybody at that time already knew happened. Are you all tracking with me? But we have a problem with that. This Bible and our manuscripts predate the temple of Jerusalem being destroyed. Those very scholars who said those things early on were challenged and then disrupted by the truth of archaeology. In other words, now they believe that the teachings of Jesus go back to the exact same time that we said he was around. As a matter of fact, Paul, in speaking about the crucifixion and some of the things of Jesus, can be dated within the life of the first disciples, especially during this time of 40, 50 AD. In other words, this is long before, decades before the 70 AD. The only excuse they try to come up with is to say this was written after the fact, and yet the facts point to it was written before the fact. Can I hear an amen? But you see, that's one thing they try to do with Jesus, but they can't do it with Daniel because everybody understands that Daniel was written long before Jesus. Can I hear an amen? So go to the book of Daniel, which prophesied this very thing that came hundreds of years before Jesus. So now there is no excuse. You can't simply say, oh, well, this is just being made up. No, it's not. Go to Daniel chapter 9, verse 24. Jesus is fulfilling that which Daniel had prophesied hundreds of years before the incarnation of Jesus. That means Jesus coming to earth. Can I hear an amen? As a matter of fact, the very timeline that we get here from the book of Daniel is the timeline we're in even now. Even now. Somebody say even now. It's still being fulfilled in our day, but the portion that we're we're talking about with Jesus in Matthew 24 was already talked about here. What are you going to say about that? You can't you can't get uh, confused here. You can't you can't use that excuse here because this now is not a matter of decades, give or take a few. No, this is hundreds of years before Jesus. Notice this. Daniel, before his incarnation, we know he eternally existed in heaven. Daniel chapter 9, verse 24, 70 sevens are decreed for your people and your holy city to finish transgression, to put an end to sin, to atone for wickedness, to bring an everlasting righteousness, to seal up vision and prophecy, and to anoint the holy place. Now look at verse 25. These are 490 years, 70 times 7, okay? Know and understand this. From the time the word goes out to restore and rebuild what? 
Jerusalem until who? The anointed one or the Christ, the ruler comes. There will be seven sevens and 62 sevens, and it will be rebuilt with streets and a trench. But in the times of trouble, after the 62 sevens, the anointed one will be put to what? will be put to death and will have nothing. The people of the ruler will come and destroy the city and the what? (laughs) Come on. Get it for us. And Andrew, help him. The prophecy of the 77s. I want this slide. You can get it from my end time sermon series. You can get it from Google. It doesn't matter. It's going to have a green, uh, a black background with some green lines. Please put that up there as they, uh, they do that. Listen to me, my brothers and sisters. Notice this. Hundreds of years before Jesus comes, Daniel gets a prophecy about 490 years, and he breaks it down into sevens. Don't let that confuse you, but just track with me. At this time, the temple in Jerusalem had been destroyed. That was Solomon's temple. Somebody say Solomon's temple. Solomon's temple had been destroyed. Daniel's in Babylon, hence being thrown into a lion's den for praying to the true God. Hence his friends, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, being thrown into a fiery furnace for not bowing down to an idol. That's happening right here. Somebody say, right here? Amen. In Daniel, that's happening. But God now promises to these people they're going to go back to the city. And in the city of Jerusalem, they're going to rebuild the temple. Look at what it says. It will be rebuilt with streets and a a trench. They will rebuild Jerusalem. Does everybody see that? In verse 25, they're going to rebuild it. And they're going to take back that land and they're going to live there and they're going to rebuild it. But then hold on. Something's going to happen. The anointed one is going to come. They're going to put the anointed one to death. And then after the anointed one is put to death, they will do what? Destroy the what? The city and the... Oh, come on, somebody. Well, let's check through history now. Did the Israelites during the Babylonian captivity come back to their land? Yes, they did. You can read about that in Nehemiah. They come back to their land. Did they rebuild the city? Yes, they did. Did they rebuild the temple? Yes, they did. And so therefore, from that point on with Daniel, now you have a timeline. And what are you waiting for? You're waiting for the Messiah to come. Amen? And then when the Messiah comes, what's going to happen to him? He's going to get killed. And then after he gets killed, what's going to happen to the city? And what's going to happen to the sanctuary? It's going to get destroyed. Isn't that something? How when you look at the end times, it was not only prophesied during the time of Jesus accurately. It was prophesied hundreds of years before Jesus. That's why when we talk about to the Jewish people, helping them understand who the Messiah is, the question is, if it wasn't Jesus, who was it? Because it had to happen during that temple. It had to happen during that temple before your temple and your city was destroyed. In other words, the expiration date, now looking back over the history of Israel, the expiration date for the longest period of time, the, least, uh, the last period of time it could be for the Messiah would be 70 AD. Does everybody get that? There can be no more Jewish Messiah according to Daniel after 70 AD. 
Why? Because there's no more city and temple that were there during the time that Daniel said it would be built. After 70 AD, there's no more Jerusalem that those boys built. Are you tracking with me? There's no more sanctuary after 70 AD that those men built. It is now gone. So that's why when I talk to the Jewish people, I say, where is your Messiah? Oh, we're still waiting. Well, then you now have false prophecies. You have unfulfilled prophecies. Because according to Daniel, this one, the anointed one, notice this, had to be put to death at this place where there was the city and the sanctuary that those people had built. Did you guys find it? Go ahead and put it up there then for me. 77s. I want to show you this timeline right here of the 77s. And we've talked about this many times before. You can go to our whole end time series. And as they're getting ready to put it up, I want you to understand this, that don't get lost in who is the Antichrist. Don't get lost in when this thing pops off to the very uh, end of the Bible. Just be ready at any moment to meet Jesus Christ. Amen? Just be ready at any moment for things to go wrong and for Jesus to be right. And as I've said before, as they're shouting, oh no, we're shouting what? Oh yes. As they're saying, stop, we're saying, come on, let's get started. The world doesn't love Jesus. The world doesn't want what Jesus has. That's why they're against him at every turn. And so God has protected his people. He's going to continue to protect his people until the Antichrist comes, and then they will become the 144,000. Do you have it up there, my brothers? Okay, Lauren, can you go and help them, please? It's just in the end time series sermon. Okay, let's go to Matthew chapter 24 as they're getting that ready. Matthew chapter 24. So Jesus predicted this, and it came to pass, did it not? Come on, can I hear an amen if it came to pass? Amen. Listen to me what I'm saying. The prophecy of 70 times, hey, guys in the back, go here. 70 times 7. Google it. It's going to have a chart. It's going to have timelines of the 70 times 7. Do you understand? It doesn't matter. Google our website. That's why I said before. It doesn't matter where you find it. The one I'm looking for has a black background with green lines. As a matter of fact, Lauren, get my uh, laptop, please. I'll find it for you guys while I preach. Now, notice this. Jesus left the temple and was walking away with his what? He was walking away with his what? His disciples, and they came to him and called his attention to the what? The buildings. Do you see all these things, he asked? Truly I tell you, not one stone here will be left on another. Everyone will be what? Okay, now notice this. If Jesus is prophesying this about those buildings, then it has to be what was talked about in Daniel. Are you guys tracking with me? Now, if it's talked about in Daniel, then there has to be a connection to everything else that Daniel's talking about. That's why whenever we help these brothers get this up there, and they, you see the prophecy of the 77s, you're now going to see, thank you, that there is, and just open it up here for me, please. You're going to see now that there are one sevens that are missing. Somebody say, one seven? That is missing. Amen. Now look to your neighbor and talk about Jesus just for a minute while I help these brothers get this. Prophecy of 77s. Amen. Aren't you glad you came to church today? Thank you. Took, uh, brothers, took about 10 seconds. I still love you, but you guys have to listen. I said Google or the website. Now please put it up. It's on the desktop. How many love Jesus today? I'm preaching to you impromptu, but I've talked about this many, many, many times. And it's the go-to for us as Christians in these last about 75 years. Because the moment Israel became a nation, everything changed. Everything changed. The moment you saw that technology, sister, that you looked up on your phone, that technology, think about it, you looked up on your phone and you said, oh, it was in the 50s? That's no coincidence. 
The very fact that now you can see everything happening at once, at the same time that Israel is a nation, is exactly the timeline the Bible prophesied. Now, you remember when we learned right here when we read about the seven, 77s? Everybody remember that? Can I hear an amen? Amen. Now, he said in that same passage, it would, it would take seven sevens to rebuild the temple in Jerusalem. You can go back and read. That's 49 years. That's seven. Somebody say seven. So seven minus, 60, uh, seven minus 70, how many sevens do you got left? You've got 60 how many? 63. Somebody say 63. Let's do math in church. How many believe we should do math in church? I don't know. Some of you all looking at me blank stares. I'm going to say it again. How many 70s are there? How many 70s are there? Excuse me. Now I'm messing you up. How many 7s are there according to the Bible here? 70. It says there's going to be seven sevens to rebuild the temple. So what is 7 minus 70? 63. Okay. Then the Bible goes on to say that 62 weeks of the year, uh, the 62 sevens, and sometimes we call the sevens a week, okay, this is what is going to happen. Now, just go to that passage in Daniel so everybody can see it. Don't want you to take my word for it. Go back to Daniel chapter 9, and you can see it here about those other sevens. Daniel chapter 9, starting back there around verse, where are we at here? Go to Daniel chapter 9, starting around verse 20. Oh, we'll go to verse 24. Seventy-sevens are decreed for your people and your holy city to finish transgressions. So that means this is the, the timeline of the end times. To put an end to sin, to atone for wickedness, to bring in everlasting righteousness, to seal up the vision and prophecy and anoint the holy place. There's seventy-sevens. Everybody see that? Now watch this right here. From the time the word goes out to restore and rebuild Jerusalem until the anointed one, the ruler comes, there will be how many sevens? Seven sevens, and that's to build the cities. Everybody tracking with me? And then what? 62 sevens. Everybody there with me? Okay, now go back to the timeline. The first seven, you rebuilding. Seven minus 70, you got 63 weeks. And then it talks about 62 weeks. How many know we're now missing a week? You see, because when it talked about the anointed one being killed and the city being destroyed and the sanctuary being destroyed, it doesn't take back off until the last seven, until right here where you and I are waiting for. Everybody go, hmm. Now go on down. Go to Daniel, please. See that seven right here. Daniel, let's go to Daniel chapter 9, verse 25. No one understand this. From the time the word goes out to restore and rebuild Jerusalem until the anointed one, the ruler, comes, there will be seven sevens and 62 sevens. You see how they're joined together? And just do math like this. Seven plus 62 is what? 69. But how many sevens are there in total? 70. So we're missing that one. Keep going. It will be rebuilt with, tre- with streets and a trench, but in times of trouble. After the 62 sevens, the anointed one will be put to death. So notice, if it's after the 62, then it must also be after the seven. You all get that? So that means that in total, it's after 69, okay? But he divided it in two sections. So after the 62 sevens, the anointed one will be put to death and will have nothing. Now just go back to that timeline real quick. Isn't it something how when you do the years from when they were in captivity right here to the time they rebuilt the temple to the time that took place in those 62 sevens that you come right up here to the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus? (laughs) Isn't that amazing? 
Isn't that amazing? Not only is it prophesied that Jesus would come to the temple that they rebuilt, to that city that they rebuilt, it was told the amount of years that would pass before he came. Now, last time I checked, you don't make yourself be born, so I don't think Jesus could have self-fulfilled that. Hello, somebody. I just love prophecy. Now, going back to the scripture, he'll be crucified. He'll have nothing. We know that's what happens there. Verse, uh, now, going on to the second part of verse 26, the people of the ruler will come and destroy the city and the sanctuary. The end will come like a flood. War will continue until the what? Until the end and the desolations have been decreed. Now, look at verse 27. He, this is what we believe is the Antichrist, he will confirm a covenant with many for how many sevens? One seven. There's your missing seven. Y'all get it? I'm just going to do the math one more time. You got seven sevens to build the temple. You got then 62 sevens. That is going to be the time that passes. Then after that, you got 69 altogether, right? Then the Messiah comes and he dies. Now you got that last seven. He will confirm a covenant with many for one seven. In the middle of the seven, that's three and a half years, in the middle of the seven, he will put an end to sacrifice and offering, and at the temple he will set up an abomination that causes desolation until the what? Until the end that is decreed is poured out on him. Now going back to the uh, timeline, please. Notice this right here, brothers and sisters. Since the time of Daniel... The entire end time timeline has been given to us. Now do you understand why when the, uh, the disciples are baptized in the Holy Spirit and are called to be God's witnesses to the end of the age, that now why that's called the last days? Because all of this has been fulfilled. All of that's been fulfilled. And now just think about it right here. Now do you understand why preachers have been speaking the truth about Israel and Jerusalem all these years, but people have been mocking them? Because they're looking toward the fact that this still has to happen. If the first uh, part of the prophecy happened, then that last part needs to happen. Amen? But here's the tricky part about all of it. The tricky part about all of it is you go to Matthew chapter 24. After Jesus, go, go there with me please, after Jesus says, you see these buildings, you see how they're destroyed, he begins to talk about the end times and there being a temple. He begins to talk about the end times and talks about there being a city called Jerusalem. Can I hear an amen? Think about that. Think about it, everybody. When Daniel came and gave a prophecy, what did he do? He said there's going to be a new temple and there's going to be a new city. You all tracking with me? But at his time in that moment, the city he's talking about, the temple he's talking about, had not yet even been built. So he's talking about a future city. He's talking about a future temple. Everybody tracking. When Jesus comes and he talks about a temple and he talks about a city, he's talking about a future one because he already said the one you're looking at is going to be destroyed. Now do you understand why we had to believe that Jer Jerusalem had to be occupied by the Jews? And now do you understand why we knew that that had to be the sign of the end times? Because as surely as he said, this got destroyed. We knew that was destroyed. Uh, this is done. You can go still see the rubble, and you only see a, wa a wall that's left, but that's technically not part of the temple. And notice this. When you see this, you're supposed to be reminded of Jesus' prophecy. But everybody get this. That temple hasn't been rebuilt. And for many, many, many years, you know, from the 70s A.D. until the 1940s, it didn't even have a chance to get rebuilt. Are you listening to me? 
I said, are you listening to me? So what he begins to talk about in these next few verses is very important because that's the generation of those who see Israel in the land and especially those who start watching them occupy Jerusalem and beginning to build a temple. So what are we waiting for right now according to this timeline for them to build the temple? They've built the city, but they haven't built the temple. And one of the reasons why they haven't built the temple is because the Dome of the Rock is on the temple grounds, a Muslim holy place. And now I don't know how this is going to be resolved, but I know somehow they're going to build there in Jesus' name. Amen. Either they'll find out that the Muslims built on the wrong spot, thinking that they were desecrating the Jewish spot because they picked that on purpose. Either they'll find they build on the wrong spot and we'll build on a different spot, or we're going to tear that one down and have the right one rebuilt. But either way, how many know if God's kept his word all this time, he's going to keep his word? Amen. Now go to verse 3. So the disciples hear this, and they're freaking out, going, man, what in the world? What, what in the world's happening? We're thinking all of this is going to come to pass the way we think it's going to come to pass. But no, Jesus is already knowing more than them, and he's trying to teach them. You guys are missing Daniel's prophecy. You don't even understand that for this to happen, Daniel's prophecy has to come forward. And Daniel said, I would be put to death. How many know Peter tried to argue about Jesus being put to death? And yet Daniel's prophecy said he would be put to death. They're trying to argue about whether or not these buildings are going to be destroyed. They think Christ is going to reign from there. And they don't even understand Daniel prophesied those buildings would be destroyed. The city would be destroyed. You're all listening to me. So as Jesus was sitting on the Mount of Olives, the disciples came to him privately and said, tell us, they asked. Or they said, when will this happen and what will be the sign of your coming in the end of the age? In other words, when is this going to happen, that destruction of the temple, and then what is now the sign of the coming of your kingdom or the end of the age? Because the Bible looks at at human history and ages. I've been watching The Hobbit and The Lord of the Rings with my kids. Anybody ever watch those kind of movies? You know, like that fantasy fiction. I like that, you know. Well, one of the things about Lord of the Rings is that there's ages that have been involved in that story. And so if you understand what's happening in The Hobbit and, and uh, you know, The Lord of the Rings with, with, with the different things that are happening, that's in the third age. Somebody say the third age. See, the Bible talks about ages, and J.R.R. Tolkien was also a Christian, and he based his mythology off the truth of the Bible. So the, the Bible prophesied that there will be an end of the age. That doesn't mean existence stops. It just means whatever was happening in that epoch of time, in that age, would pass away, and there would be a new age. Somebody say a new age. Not new age in the way of, of crystals and, uh, you know, knowing your horoscope, but no, a new age. And by the way, they steal that from us, just in case you want to know where that came. They stole that from us as well, because how many know new age people don't make crystals? My God does. How many know they didn't name the, store, the stars? My God did. Amen. So you want to talk to stars and crystals? I talked to the one who made stars and crystals. Amen. <laughs> just think about that. Now, now, understand this. When... They asked, they asked him two questions. When will this happen, and what will be the sign of your coming in the end of the age? So they want to know, when will this happen of the temple being destroyed, and then what's going to be the sign of your coming, and that this thing is going to be wrapped up? Now watch Jesus in, in chapter 24, verse 4 of Matthew. Watch out that no one deceives you, for many will come in my name, claiming I am the Messiah, and will deceive many. See, now Jesus is going to start with the last part of the question they asked. They wanted to know when is the end of the age. And so here is the message for us right now. How will you know that you're getting towards the end of the age? Many people are going to be claiming to be Christ and deceive many. 
We are now living in a time with more false Christ than have ever, ever been around. There's a false Christ in the Philippines that claims over a million members. He has hundreds of thousands of people. They are building the largest stadium in the Philippines for this false Christ, Apollo Quibloy. And when we go to the Philippines, by God's grace, we will confront him. I've already wrote a book against him. They had the Puerto Rican Jesus that was in Miami. He was putting 666 tattoos on people. Anybody remember him? He's already dead. There's been many other false Christs that have been popularized. There's the false Christ movement of the worldwide church of God out of South Korea. She believed that she was married to Jesus, and she's also Jesus' mother, which is sick and twisted. They believe that God is a father, son, and the spirit. She's the Holy Spirit. She's the mother, just like God, uh, just like we have father, mother, child. She's the mother, and she was married to Jesus. What's like, like I said, it's crazy, a little incest going on there. But she's a part of the mother God cult. So in other words, she's on the planet. She believes she was already here for Jesus being on the planet. He's died. Of course, they're all dead. Uh, at some point, they all die as well. And none of them get resurrected. How many are, know our Jesus is resurrected in heaven? That's the difference, baby. That's the difference. We just wait for your founders to die. Ours died and rose from the dead. But she claims to be mother God, and they have hundreds of thousands. Worldwide Church of God. And then you also have the Apollo Quibloy cult. And I can name off many more. But trust me, from those of us who have researched this, there has never been as many as there are now. And that was one of the signs. That they will claim to be the Christ, deceive many. Then you will hear of what? Wars and what? Rumors of wars. Now, of course, people can say, you know, we've always been at war. Nations are always fighting. But notice that there is going to be an increase in these things. This is how you will know. The Bible later on is going to call these birth pains right there in verse 8. So yes, there's always been wars. Yes, there's always been rumors of wars. Yes, there's always been crazy people claiming to be whoever they want. But in the end, this is going to be happening so much. And how many now know you live in a time of wars and rumors of wars? But see to it that you're not alarmed. Such things must happen, but the end is still to come. Remember in Daniel, the end is coming. And it's not going to happen until that Antichrist figure or that ruler makes a covenant, okay? Nation will rise up against nation and kingdom against kingdom, and there will be famines, earthquakes in various places. All these are the beginning of birth pains. Now, please hit on the Greek there so they can see what it means when it says nation rising up against nation because we saw some things happen in our nation just a few years ago that I never thought I would see in my time because I thought that the civil rights settled that we're all created equal. I thought Jim Crow laws were abolished. I thought that we didn't judge people by the exterior of their skin but by their character within. Can I hear an Amen. But notice here what it says when it calls the word nation. What is this Greek word? Pronounce this with me. Ethnos. Ethnos. Say it again. Ethnos. Isn't that where we get the word ethnic from? Ethnic people rising up against other ethnic people. So it doesn't just mean nation in the sense of a country or with a king, with a border. It actually means people will be hating each other based on their ethnicity. And you tell me right now if you have not seen more hatred in America based on ethnicity than you ever have. Now there is more racism among all people groups than ever before. Yes, there was always a certain group being racist, just like there was in Hotel Rwanda, certain Africans hating other Africans, certain white people hating other white people, learn about what happened with Ireland and the, and the, the nation of uh, uh, England, and, and learn about how even the Romans were against the barbarians and the Scythians, okay? Learn about how the Persians, you know, if you ever watch 300, look down on the rest of them. And of course, the slave trade and the Islamic slave trade and the, the dynasties of Japan and China fighting against each other. Of course, that's always been there. 
But have you ever seen it go so deep and so rooted into people's hearts that now they can hate their very own neighbor and wish them death because they are not of the same ethnic group that they are? We're seeing white nationalism on the right. We're seeing black nationalism, Latino nationalism. We're seeing all of these nationalisms, all these ethnic prides beginning to rise up. And that, the Bible said, would be a prophecy to be in the end times. Thank you taking it off of the Greek. Famines and earthquakes. And, of course, sometimes people point to the wildfires and these other things. And they say, well, Joe, do you see that there exactly? No, we don't see wildfires and things like that or floods exactly. But we do see that famines will increase. And how many know where there's fires, where there's floods, where there's those kinds of things, the famines also increase? Because what happens in those nations is it takes out their food and they don't have the opportunity to feed the people. And you would think, now think about this, come on, you would think if you're going to prophesy towards the future, you're going to prophesy things are going to get better. Right? Don't you think people would figure it out? I mean, let's just say you're in America 100 years ago. Don't you think that the civil rights would get better? Don't you think that you would just, or even just 50 years ago, let's say you're living after the time where now everybody can go to school together. And let's say you're in the 1970s. Don't you think you would say, now it's going to get better? But now look at all the divisions among the races. Can I hear an amen to this racism spirit coming back up? And then think of it like this. You would say, well, now we're feeding more people. Think about how technology, maybe the industrial revolution, you would say, well, this surely would would fix all the feeding problems. But how many know there's still starvation today in many African nations? There's food shortages in many Latino, Central, and South American nations. Hello, somebody. And yet some of these nations have some of the most lush, fertile ground. Why doesn't the Fertile Crescent produce all the food for the world? It should. Why is China starving in so many places? They have all of that land. Why aren't the people of Latin America happy? Look at all the vegetation that they have. When I say Bolivia, when I say El Salvador, when I say the places of where the migrants are coming from, do you think of them as being prosperous nations? But if I said, look at the land, wouldn't you say that that land is fertile? But why are they coming here starving? Why are they coming to this nation and nations like the United States? Because their land is ruled by dictators. There is no freedom in those lands, and yet Jesus prophesied that, as well as the increase of earthquakes. Keep going, verse 9. Then you'll be handed over to be persecuted and be put to death, and you will be hated by all nations because of me. Now notice this. One, if not the most important of the end time signs is that the Christian church will be persecuted. Did you know? that the Christian people, even more than the Jewish people, are the most persecuted group on the planet today? In other words, Christians are hated in more nations and oppressed in more nations right now than any other people group. Did you know that? No, because most people don't. What do most people think? You know, the wasp, the white angular, you know, the white Anglo uh, Saxon Protestant, that the white person is Christian and they're prospering and they're amazing. And at the same time, they'll talk about indigenous people and all of these things, and yet they don't realize that white people, and by the way, nobody's white, this paper is white, hello. We all have some color, just some more than others, but track with me. They think that the world is majority white people. How many know the majority world is people of color? Hello, somebody. 
And by the way, if that is true, that the majority of the world is people of color, then guess what the majority of Christians are? People of color. And guess where Christianity started? Not in Europe, but in Africa, in the Middle East, in the Mediterranean. Hello. In Turkey, in what is now known as Iraq, in Egypt, in Ethiopia. Come on, somebody. And so the world wants to cover over that fact so that you don't understand that Christians today are the most hated. Christian homes are being burned, as we've played here before, in Pakistan, in places in Central and South America where the drug cartels have taken over and want to demolish the the existence of the church. Or in Japan or in other places, Christians have been persecuted there as well. So whether it's Muslim or communist, Christianity is being persecuted. Can I hear an amen to them? We don't love it. We hate that we are being persecuted, but we love our enemies. Now notice this. And at that time, many will what? Turn away from the faith. Look at verse 10. And at that time, at the time of what? False Christ. At the time of wars and rumors of wars. At the time of ethnic uprising and anger and hatred towards one another based on ethnic groups. During that time of the rise of famines, the rise of earthquakes, during the rise of persecution towards Christian, what happens here? Many will turn from the what? From the faith and will betray and hate each other. So in the midst of this happening, many will turn their back on God. And just look at the United States of America. Do you see a turning away from God? Do you see a turning away from Christianity? You look through Europe, turning away from Christianity. Many people in places that knew of Jesus, now they're turning away. But now watch this. Do they turn away and just believe nothing? No. Many, many do become atheists and agnostics, but that's not where most go. Most backslidden Christians go towards false prophets because they're being deceived. You talk to your friends right now that are in the New Age, what did they used to be? Most of them Christian. You talk to the people today, and you ask them, why do you believe such and such a thing? Oh, i got to pray to my ancestors now, going back to paganism. That's how they were raised. Well, I was raised a Christian. I was raised in the church. People are turning away from God, going towards paganism, going towards false religion. And because of the increase of wickedness, the love of most will grow cold. So what also is going to happen is that people are going to love wickedness. Is it wicked for people of the same gender to have sex together? Absolutely. That's wicked, but it's increasing, isn't it? Is it wicked to kill the child in your womb? Abortion? Yes, but it's increasing in the sense of its, its acceptance and people wanting it. Is it wicked for people to look at pornography? Yes, but is it increasing? Absolutely. Now in the United States of America, they want to normalize pornography and sex work. They want to be able to, and I'm not saying they shouldn't have freedoms, but I'm just saying like wickedness, they want to be able to talk about their job on OnlyFans like you talk about working at Comcast. They don't want any stigma to do with their sin because the increase of wickedness. But notice what else happens. The love of most will go cold, grow cold. How many look around today and they see lack of compassion? People don't have compassion for one another like they used to. People aren't kind like they used to. You ever seen road rage? Have you seen how people will fight just over the cars that they're in and getting cut off in traffic? What, what did that take from you, two seconds of your time? But now they're willing to fight. Have you seen how people really don't care about one another? They'll put out a phone rather than stop a fight? You see this in the media-driven age that we live in? That people have become hard-hearted. I'm not saying everybody. It just says that many 
of the love of people's heart will grow cold. But notice this, verse 13. But the one who stands firm to the end will be what? Will be saved. And this gospel of the kingdom will be preached. Where? In the whole world as a testimony to all nations. And then what? The end will come. Now go to verse 15. When you see, when you are standing in the holy place. Hold on. I thought you just told me the holy place was destroyed. Did you all get that? Scroll up for them so they can see Matthew 24, 1. I know I preach long, but did I preach so long you all forgot this? They point out buildings, sanctuary, temple, the city there, and they show that to Jesus, and Jesus says, you see all this? This is going to be thrown down. Can I hear an amen? But now go to verse 15. So when you're standing in the holy place... How can there be a holy place if you just told me it's going to be thrown down, Jesus? It had to be rebuilt. Are you all tracking with me? Otherwise, and here's the only other solution, is that people believe that end times happened in 70 AD and that now we're in the millennial reign of Christ. There's a few problems with that. Number one, Jesus is not in Jerusalem literally ruling and reigning. I mean, that's a big problem if we don't have our king here. Number two, there's not peace on earth. None of the things have been settled. Satan is not tied up and bound. And then last, and of course, but not least, everything that's been happening since has been hell on earth, not heaven on earth. <laughs> Hello. But that's what times, uh, sometimes people try to say. They go, oh, no, no, this all literally happened in that one temple at that one time. And these are well-meaning Christians. I love some of them. But they try, to, they try to force everything into that destruction of Jerusalem in 70 AD. But you now ask me if it makes sense as we read the rest of this, if this happened at 70 AD. If it didn't, and which of course I believe it didn't, then that means whatever is talking about here, a holy place, and whatever city we're talking about here, we're not talking about 70 A.D. We're talking about 2023 A.D. And I'm not predicting the end of the, the age, but you know what I'm trying to say. This is not the time frame of 70 A.D. You just ask yourself your que the question if it fits into that time. So just, just put on your biggest skeptical hat and say, does this fit into 70 A.D. in the time I've been living in ever since then? Or does this fit into what I'm seeing now in the future and can see come to pass? When you're standing in the holy place, the abomination that causes desolation spoken through the prophet who? Daniel, you see this connection there? Hello. Let the reader understand that those who are in Judea should flee to the mountains. Let the one on the housetop go down. Uh, let no one, rather, on the housetop go down to take anything out of the house. Let no one in the field go back to get their cloaks, so it's going to be a terrible time. How dreadful it will be in those days for pregnant women and nursing mothers. Pray that your flight will not take place in a winter or Sabbath, for then there will be great distress unequaled from the beginning of the world until now and never equaled again. Hold on. Did the destruction of the Jerusalem temple in 70 A.D. bring more destruction to the earth than has ever been seen? No, most people in history don't even care about it because cities have been destroyed all the time. Pompeii, you know, by the volcano, and Rome was, uh, you know, sacked at different times, or Persia and these different places. No one thinks about that as the worst distress since the beginning of the world and never again after. Can I hear an amen? So that obviously doesn't fit in the 70 A.D. bucket, but keep going now. Let's see if this fits into 70 A.D. If those days 
had not been cut short, no one would survive. For the sake of the elect, those days will be shortened. At that time, if anyone says to you, look, here is the Messiah, or, do not, or look, there he is, do not believe him. For false messiahs and false Christ will appear and perform great signs and wonders to deceive, if possible, even the elect. See, I've told you ahead of time. Did people show up during the time of the destruction of Jerusalem in 70 AD and perform great signs and say they were the Messiah? Nobody would dare do that. Why? Because if you would say that, you would be killed. But according to our Bible, the Antichrist will be standing there among the destruction acting like he's a superhero. So, of course, that didn't happen. Now, verse 26, so if anyone tells you there he is out in the wilderness, do not go out. If he's here in the inner room, do not believe it. Now, look at verse 27. For as lightning that comes from the east is visible even to the west, so will be the coming of the Son of Man. Did everybody see the lightning of the Son of Man in 70 A.D.? Of course not. And is he here now in literal physical form? Of course not. Wherever there is a carcass, there the vultures will also gather. Immediately after the distress of those days, the sun will be dark and the moon will not give its light. The stars will fall from the sky. The stars fall from the sky in 70 AD. No, of course not. The heavenly bodies will be shaken. Then will appear the sign of the Son of Man in heaven. And then all the peoples of the earth will mourn when they see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. Did that happen in 70 A.D.? Of course not. And he will send his angels with a loud trumpet, and they will gather his elect from the four winds, from, uh, from one end of the heavens to the other. Did the angels come down and gather together God's people? Of course not. So is this time being described here 70 A.D.? No. So this is why we as end-time believers in the Word of God believe that Jerusalem must be a nation again, Tick, that has happened. Check, right? They must have Jerusalem. Check, that has happened. And guess what now they must have? A temple. So at some point, maybe even after a war like this, they'll get fed up with trying to play nice and start building their temple. I don't know how or when exactly, but I believe it will happen just as surely as my brothers and sisters earlier believed that Israel would become a nation when they were living out in Europe scattered throughout the Middle East as well. If they could believe that, how many of us can now believe for the temple to be rebuilt? That seems like far less faith it would take to believe that than it took for our ancestors to believe the other way. But now watch. But now watch. He didn't leave us without some type of a sign to know when all of those things would happen. The destruction would come, and we know all of these things would happen. But when would we know? Look at verse 32. Now learn this lesson from the fig tree. As soon as its twigs get tender and its leaves come out, you know that summer is near. Even so, when you see all of these things, you know that it is near right at the door. Truly, I tell you, this generation will certainly not pass away until all these things have happened. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will will what? Never pass away. Brothers and sisters, we see this generation upon us now. Now, it's how you understand generation that will help you with the timeline. Some, like myself, have believed it's the generation that sees Israel become a nation. So I will take that all the way to a one-year-old in the 1940s. When that last one is no longer on the planet, I'll give up this idea of that being the generation. But they technically could have seen it. Are you listening to me? There's those who believe it like that, or those who see both 
the nation of Israel there, so they don't have to watch it start, but they see it there, and then they see all the signs. That generation will not pass. So in other words, that could be from anybody now moving forward with Israel as a nation, because you would be here, and you would see Israel. How many would see Israel? You can see it. And then now you would see these signs. So it's either one of those, but how many know we're getting very close? Amen. And so as surely as the destruction of that temple happened, as Jesus prophesied, and he answers it in Luke, by the way, if you want to know how they knew to get ready for that. But how many know that if he kept his word for that, he's keeping his word for this? Amen. Let's give it up for Jesus as we stand up today. Band and altar workers, would you come, please? Amen. Share this with your friends and family who have questions about the end times. This is the majority Christian view of how it will work out. But how many are ready to meet Jesus no matter what? Because we can preach about the end times and make our predictions, but no one knows truly when that day or hour will come. Right, brother? Unless you've got a book coming out. Amen. Everybody tries to say it until, you know, their book comes out, you know, and it's bought, and now it doesn't happen. Then they try to change their mind. But you notice they never give back the money. But here's something that I can't promise you. I can't promise you when the date will be. I can't tell you on a timeline for sure when that seven years will start. But here's what I can promise you. Every person is appointed once to die and then after that to face judgment. That's what I can promise you is that one day you're going to meet Jesus. I don't know when that will be. One of our dear friends used to sing on our worship team caught a flat on the expressway, hopped out to start fixing it. 15-year-old son said, hey, I want to come out and help, started helping. At that same moment, many of you know this tragic story, a semi-truck tire with rim and everything flew off and struck the young man and killed him. Could you imagine that? Hey, Dad, let me help you. Okay, come on, let's put the thing together. Seconds later, you're in the hospital with a son unconscious that never recovers and a few days passes. I don't know when the end times is going to be over. But I know one day you're going to meet Jesus. So am I. And you and I need to be ready to meet him. So let's just bow our head and close our eyes before we go. If you don't know Jesus yet as your personal Lord and Savior, just ask him for forgiveness and confess him as the Lord of your life. He gave you prophecy. He gave you the timeline, but more importantly, he gave you his life.